This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, know that I know. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Soft Y Vlogcast, episode number 44. We're back, man. Welcome back, sir. It's oh, been a minute. It's nice, man. It's nice. The weather here is beautiful. Is it? Yeah, the weather is nice, man. I went out to Bellagio <laughs> to be inside. At 3 a.m.? Yeah, but before I got there, it was nice, man. I was so mad at you. I walk in Bellagio this morning at 10 a.m. I see Christian sitting grinding 510 with like $1,700 in front of him knowing full well that he didn't just get there like a half hour before me. Nah. It's like, do you sleep? They're like, I'm good. I'm good. Don't, don't sweat it, man. I'm good. It's like, we have a vlogcast. We got a stream. I'm ready to go, man. I'm ready to go. Some days I feel, I feel the energy. Like, I just feel like I'm like, man, poker's what I was built to do. You know what like, I wish you would do on those days? What? Build a fucking course. But there's so much money out there in these, you know? Oh, there's so much money in these There's, streets, there's a lot of money, man. There was some guy from South Africa today. He fucking called for bit me with full, with nines and I missed a shove. Yeah. Ace King. I think you missed a shove. I think he played the hand fine. I played the hand fine by by theory. Because, yeah, yeah, sure. But like, whatever. Like, I'm supposed to shove Ace King like 30 to 40% of the time. But, like, this guy's an opportunist, man. Like, I know it. I see it in his face from South Africa. He didn't fly over here to, like, fold. Sure. Or, like, have appropriate frequency. Mm -hmm. Like, I have ace-king. That's why you get it in there. So, you can just snap you with ace-queen and we move on with life. I just, I just, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to have pads on today. You know what he would have done? He would have five-clicked it induced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He would have hit him with the, the dead min raise. Yeah, just induce. And then the guy's, like, lost in the water. Like, he just called and hit his head. Yeah. But that's what actually happened. Exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah, that was what actually happened. But it was kind of weird, right? So the the hand, obviously, I'm not going to tell everybody the hand, but like as soon as he, he called four bet, flop came 9xx, right? Like low, low. And he didn't bet the flop, which was very, very worrisome to me because it's yeah. like he's supposed to just be like 20 to 25%ing like range of there. And he didn't. And then I was like, yes, he's. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, check, check, turns to king. I'm like, oh, well, he's going to get it now. <laughs> He has aces, he has aces. And then I was like telling myself he could have Queen Jack. Yeah, <laughs> sure. No, it's all good. I'm excited for this month because the Academy is on the way. The Academy is on the way. We won't even be finished with homeschool yet. Uh, we're running the Academy the 18th to the 20th. Homeschool wraps that following week, the 26th. Can't wait. So, so we have to run an Academy that weekend. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you have to teach homeschool the following week. Awesome. <laughs> awesome <laughs> you know it's great yeah i'm going on vacation right after it's good to have you back what I'm are you like, talking about bracelet events start the next day i'll play that shit from what, stop on where wsop God, never ends july 1 man you're not gonna play i'm gonna play of course i'm gonna play but like we're streaming every day that month I, i'm going on vacation for a weekend to puerto rico i already said it okay well be back by monday i guess July 9th, I'm going on vacation to Puerto Rico. Oh and my then, God, you're just skipping. No, I'm just going to skip. I'm going to skip three days. I need to. You, I, don't worry, guys. Don't worry. I will miss none of these bracelet events. I can promise you that right now. Uh, I can't guarantee. You're going on vacation? A three day vacation. Three bro. day vacation. So I have to hold down the live stream. For three days? For three days. I got to hold down the live stream and I got to stream my bracelet events. I, I'm only one man. I guess I'm and skipping Bellagio 5000. Oh, sorry, man. Yeah. 
you know, you know some, some of us are trying to just earn a healthy living out here. No, it, it is. It's, it's actually been fun. Like the games are, thr- the games are good. At least they're, they're different than when I left. 5,800 is good. It's good. 510 is really good. Sure. 1020 is fickle mm-hmm. because it's just like, it starts and it dies and it starts and it dies like quickly. Yeah. Depending like who's in, who busts, who walks, who goes. Regs don't want to battle, man. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's it's not the same. I'm curious to see what's gonna happen because when I left, there was there were times there was three ten twenty games going. Yeah, and now Bitcoin was big. Bitcoin was big, and I actually, know. you want to know what's funny? When you left, Bitcoin was like twenty eight k, but it was on the uptick. Yeah, now we're like trying now it's to like thirty eight k. Now we're like please forty k, <laughs> but everybody's just like you know crushed. Um, dreams are crushed yeah the games are good I lost a 120k pot today playing 5100 which got me stuck 60k right out of the gate I got even within like four hours and then the final half hour I played I lost another 70k wow at 5100 okay I don't know what's happening it's Matt Berkey I just like I lose so this I is lost- why you have a seat Berkey because, <laughs> they, because you're gonna ride the coast the well, roller coaster I lost all my money with good hands Versus sets. So the 120k pot was aces versus a set. The other pots that I lost were two pair versus a set. And then like my nut bluff catcher versus a turn top set. And then I win all the pots. Just blasting my ass off with nothing. Yeah. Betting. Yeah. If they just like would give me nothing all the time. Mm -hmm. I would just do so fine. But sometimes they give me like two pair. And I just like face a raise on the turn. It's just like, well, fuck me. I'm never good. (laughs) But like, you know. Top and bottom is pretty pretty good hand Top here. Bottom's a pretty good bluff catcher. Pretty good hand. It's not. It's not. They have set <laughs> every fucking time. If I could just program that into my head, if I could just beat it in there of just like, you know, they have it. They're cowards. They're not putting in 140 big blinds on the turn. No. With less true. than two pairs. That's true. You know what's crazy at um at Bellagio, they do seem to recognize like you and I a lot. You you're obviously behind the glass a little bit more than I am, but they know you're back there because they constantly say like, oh, Berkey's back there. Like Berkey's back there. Like mm. Berkey's back there. So they know you're back oh, there. Oh, that was like that was like me in 2010. Or no, 2008 when I first moved out here. I was playing 510. I'm like, yo, Ming Lai's back there. <laughs> <laughs> Ming Lee? Lai. What's his name? Ming Lai. The dude with the... With the yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that, guy was, that guy was something, man. I see him every now and then. Never meet your heroes, man. <laughs> That's how I felt about Jason Somerville, man. Like, <laughs> Jesus. Yo, I'm telling you, I'm never gonna meet Tom Dwan. I I can't. Like, I already know he's kind of like a little quirky, weird old dude. Like, so it's like I know I'm gonna be disappointed. Nah, he's he's as advertised. I can confirm. I think he believes the Earth is flat. No. I could just see it. Like Christian, let me tell you something for real. The Earth is flat. Nah, he just definitely believes that he makes more flushes than everybody else. He does. Well, yeah, Actually, no, it, like game. nothing changed. I saw poker after like high stakes poker. I he the, he runs better than anyone I've ever seen. I you know I would wager that he probably has that balance out. Uh, speaking of somebody who v pips a little bit more than the next guy, I got to tell you that yeah, you make more hands, but you also miss a lot more, and it hurts. He seems to lose a lot to Rick Sullivan. Right, right. right. <laughs> it's the battle like, of the the non-polar. Rick Sullivan is just like oh, I got him again. I got it. <laughs> I got it. Yeah, it's it's tough, man. When you're playing against guys who just have infinite ranges, but like at some point they stop bluffing and it's it's like you don't realize it yet. 
Like Rick's notorious for this. He'll just like bloat pots and then give up. But like when he doesn't give up, most of the time he just has a pretty good hand. And like I just remember a few hands where Derek's calling with like third pair. I was just like, dude, no. <laughs> he's just he's gonna have like a thin top pair for like this 560 big blind pot, you know? And he does. So you know what started today? Uh the USPO. Oh yeah. The 10K was Emma was texting me. She says uh a very good field. The first event is in juicy. The first event is usually very good. Yeah. Last year was very good too. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first event starts today. Remember that they also now have this like structure of like kind of like a it's like a tour. Yeah, it's like a tour, and then like the winner gets like money and things like that. So yeah, we're gonna like obviously keep up on keep up with that. Uh, but yeah, that started today and tournaments, man. I don't know when I, I'm gonna play them with WSOP. Are you though? Yes. Listen. Are you sure? I've I've accepted this part, right? I'll play WSOP. I'll play whatever ten million guarantees around America, mm-hmm. and that's it. The rest, the rest is extra. Yeah, you're not gonna go to Florida for an eight million guarantee. Like, why bother? First place is just like you know. I like Florida, but I'm not. They're not gonna catch me on Babe 101. Not anymore. I'm done. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. That's good because it's not a thing anymore. They'll catch me on LAPC. All right. See now, then you start yep. naming stuff, and then yeah, you're yeah. back in. Mm-hmm. It's like, well. The Brigada WPT is always good. Bro, you don't get to you don't get to big time this, okay? Like I have high stakes cash I can play literally every day, and I still make all of these stops. You just have to follow the EV, right? Like, there are just some spots that you can't miss. You got to play like five or six WPTs a year. You got to play like twenty five WSOP events. You got to grind that WSOP online. You know, for the brand, man. For I'm the brand, tell, listen, I need you to stream. We listen, need you out there on these streets. I don't want to pay. I don't want to play the big one hundred nine. Why not? No. Why not? Because it's 8K guarantee. Oh, that's only in the stars. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. We're going to get into this ecosystem a little bit. So let's talk a little bit about Pads. Let's talk behind his back a little bit. Okay. Um, so he's been around forever. Sure. That's it? That's all you I don't know that much about him. Around. I don't know that much about him. Like, t- talk to me about him. Because right. he's, he's an online tournament player. Yeah. I know he uh, was part of a bit uh, bit B staking, right? That was his tournament. The MTT side, yeah. The little controversial photo. I know the controversial photo, right? Where like they had all the computers next to each other. And oh, they were yeah, like, yeah. oh, these motherfuckers are all cheating. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I was like, I'm gonna the talk about this. Yo, yo, Pads, you can't come on here and not talk about it. Gonna, <laughs> like, like this is the realest podcast. Like, we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna talk about it. Why you? Why you got you guys computers next to each other? I don't. I want to know. Yeah, no. Uh, obviously, he's very decorated. Uh, he's been in high stakes MTTs for the better part of a decade. Just been absolutely mashing online. He's a party poker ambassador. Yeah head of or former head of the staking which they dissolved and we're going to talk a lot about that today um from my experience with him though it's you know a lot of our interaction has taken place on twitter and i just think that he's like a good representative very specifically for online mtts but also for the game in general like he seems to have a big picture view which i think a lot of people with the spotlight tend to lack recently put out a course with ronald once checked it out it's really good really well structured very easy to just kind of like know what you want to study and find it, mm-hmm. which uh, I think for a lot of people was very appealing. It's, I think one of the biggest aspects of training that gets missed is the fact that you're there kind of as a guide. People yeah. show up without any clue, right? It's not that they don't have any clue how to play poker. It's more so that they don't have any clue how or what to study. Where to start, yeah. Yeah, so like whenever you're able to just kind of handhold and say like, oh, are you struggling in blind versus blind scenarios? Skip ahead to video five, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. I think that uh, it provides more value than the player who bought it necessarily even realized they were signing up for. 
You think it's true you had to take an IQ test to get into BitB staking? <laughs> no. I heard some I've rumor. never heard that. Dude, I heard a rumor like that. No. I heard uh, like they only take like certain IQ. Like I don't I don't know. Like what IQ test? Like I don't, I don't think know. It was I don't know. I'm gonna ask. Do I have bad questions? Like <laughs> speaking of IQ tests, you heard the you heard the Sean Perry story, right? Have we already told this one on air? Let's tell it again. Uh, <laughs> it's one of the best stories I've ever seen. Yeah. It's so funny, man. Like this, this, um, you know, maybe Pads has an opinion on this too, but like, it's crazy. Like Sean gets accused of cheating Coleman out of a million dollars a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Seems as though everybody, like all the hard evidence is pointing towards this having happened. Right. Uh, Sovereign is involved in some sort of capacity. Maybe he helped facilitate the cheating. I guess it's a little bit less clear, but mm-hmm. it seems pretty obvious to be some sort of like collusion effort from my perspective. Um, and the only thing we got of it, like these two just like played a high roller a week ago, finished first and third, no big deal. No one gives a shit. Nobody's like out there policing this, but we did get a fantastic story taken away from this whole scenario. And uh, Dan Zach tweeted it out a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'm, I'm almost positive we've already told this on air, but just in case we haven't. No, that's, that's great. Uh, they were playing like this long session of, 100, 200 at, at Commerce and Perry's running his shtick of, you know, I'm the greatest and just this arrogant 21-year-old shtick that he has. And this lawyer at the table goes, uh, I'll bet you $100,000 that you aren't in the top three in IQ here. And Perry kind of balked and like pushed back and like, you know, just let it go. A little while passes, the lawyer goes, I'll bet you $100,000 you're not in the top six in IQ at this table. And, you know, Perry just like still being arrogant, just like, no, nah, I don't want to take your money, whatever. And then some more time passes and he slides out 200,000. He goes, I'll bet you're dead last. <laughs> that's pretty. That's you got to snap take that, man. You're getting paid double the price. Take it, dude. It's, it's wild. Like he, didn't take he must have already like had knowledge of his own IQ or something to not take that. Because, I mean, the likelihood that you're the dumbest person at the table, according to an IQ test. They had some good people in there, though. Like, it, was, fine, it was a tough like, lineup. It was like Garrett Alstein, Rob Perry. Like, it was, it was a tough one, man. Yeah, I mean. Dan Zach. Like, these guys are smart, dude. No, nah, I get it. I get it. But you got to gamble a little bit that, like, one of them isn't going to score quite as high. Or maybe you're, you know, a good test taker. I don't fucking know. Probably was pretty smart, man. I don't know. He probably knew. He they, looked around and was like, Sam Savarall. It was like Dan Zach goes to Princeton. Garrett Alstein is valedictorian. Yeah. Ralph Perry's like went to Wharton. It's like, bro, you're <laughs> fucked up. You're done. Yeah. All right. Maybe. Maybe uh, Maybe he's a little bit sharper than we give him credit for. Maybe. All right. So let's welcome on Pads Patrick Leonard. I hear the little. I Skype. hope the Skype sound actually goes into the podcast. I don't really see Patrick, but I know he's around here in the in the in the space because I hear him in my headphones. So Patrick, welcome to the Softwide Vlogcast. I have a lot of questions. I don't know if you heard them, but I was just listening about the uh, IQ test. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about IQ tests for a long time, but yeah, there was a rumor that to get into Bit B staking, you had to take an IQ mm-hmm. test. Uh, yeah. So first, I want to know about that before we even like fully know about you i need to know about that rumor because it was one of the biggest rumors i've heard in a while yeah um we didn't have an iq test we definitely had a lot of uh specific tests uh specific to you know playing online tournaments uh but not an iq test uh i think if you go for any kind of job you'd always have like round one round two round three so i think maybe like in round one it was just you know like uh, send your graphs and your mm-hmm. volume you know the generic like fill in an application then i guess like round two was 
um, like send the hand is true probably. And then round three, this was all done by like an application manager. So it wasn't like me doing it or anything. And then round four would be uh, like a, a test, not like an IQ test Like you'd answer maybe like 20 questions. And one of them, like one of the questions was like, send a picture of like your, um, your grind setup. And it's not about like how cool your monitor is, but maybe like, like how you present yourself, you know, like if mm. you're like some of the pictures we had, would just had like bottles of Coke all over and, uh, like food everywhere, which is what my office usually <laughs> very is like. But if you present yourself like that, then maybe, you know, there'll be problems down the line or whatever. So I, I can tell you, I would have taken a different, I would have had piss bottles like set up everywhere just to like demonstrate <laughs> that I was dedicated to the grind, even if it wasn't accurate. I'd be like, there's That's no strong. way they're going to turn down the guy with piss bottles. No, that is very strong. Unfortunately, we never received anyone with a 200 IQ enough to do something like that. So, uh, <laughs> but no, we did. We did have a lot of. Um, we did have a lot of interest in applications. I would say, um, and then the ones which got through to like the last stage, we would like just go over the all of the things in general. But no, there was no IQ test. It was all quite chill, to be honest. Just like. You know, we, we would like post a few spots and they would say what their range would be or how they would approach a spot or something. Um, because if someone posts a graph, you know, like 5,000 games, like maybe game 2000 was like two years ago or something. Mm -hmm. And like the game, there was no like PSGOs two years ago or something. So like it was very, it's very difficult to just look at a graph and be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to give this guy $100,000 and see how it goes. You know, you have to. You learn the hard way. After you learn the hard way, the test gets tougher and tougher until um, <laughs> until you don't take many people on, and, and then until you take nobody on anymore. So, but, uh, but yeah, the good old days, I guess. I guess that kind of sets up like the decision to dissolve Bitby. So yeah. why don't we talk about that a little bit? Like, what outside factors led to? Uh, well, first, I guess like I assume that this was a profitable entity; otherwise, it wouldn't have lasted as long. So maybe you can speak a little bit yeah. towards that, but. Secondarily, then, uh, what was like the the cost benefit analysis that took place where you guys ultimately arrived at the decision to dissolve? Um, so it was quite interesting, actually. So in 2016 or 17, I mean, you can find the blog probably somewhere, or anyone can find it. I think we had a blog on two plus two. You know, like at Poker Goals and Challenges. Do you do you remember? The, yes. They yep. were like blogs on two plus two, and we had one which was I think called five million in a year or something like our goal was to make five million stake in a year and i think we either got to like 4.7 or 5.2 or something and this was all business 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 money 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 and it was all like a business enterprise like you said it was it was very much like that um but a big part of our business was becoming very close with the guys so we would go away like two three four times a year to boot camps like before scoop before wcoop at the end of the year in ept Prague and stuff like this and as we got closer and closer to the guys, it started to become less about the money and more about like the one-on-one -on -one relationships. And like the the best thing we got out of it was we had like a hundred people who we considered like not family, but people who we spoke to more than our family. You know, we wake up in the morning, we check if they have any problems in their in their private chat. We speak to them all day. We're rooting them on during their session. Afterwards, we're reviewing their session, and then we say good night to them. You know, so like we say good night to them. Uh, whilst our girlfriends are sleeping and we say hello to them in the morning before we get out of bed, you know, so it, it starts to become a very personal relationship and it's probably the only way where a stake in relationship can work, but you get to the level where you, I mean, people never believe this, but like you, you don't care, you start to not care about the money anymore 
and you start to only care about their their best interests. And as we got into 2019 and especially 2020 last year, um, European, uh, one of my partners and Elmerix, who are both very successful guys, kind of said similar to me that we care more now about these guys. These guys have been with us for like five years. We'd kept most people together and we were like taking 50% of their money away each year when they sh- they could have all of their money and we just like teach them a little bit more about bankroll management or whatever it may be. It's probably going to be the best thing for them. So we told every single guy that our, our goal was to, um, to get them to play for themselves and not to be in a stake in enterprise anymore. Uh, for some people, they could do that instantly because it saved their money up and around about 40 people left in a day, I think. Um, but they all stayed in the community. It wasn't like we kicked them out. They were like, okay, just play for yourself, but you can stay around. You can have all the benefits. You can come to all the coachings for free, all this kind of stuff. And then there was left some people who just were sloppy with bankroll management, you know, like typical poker player, just like they hadn't saved money up or they just weren't in a position to stake themselves to play like relatively high stakes MTTs. And for these guys, we kept on staking for, I guess, like eight months. Um, around about, I would say, this time last year, I started to have like moral, uh, I started questioning some moral stuff about staking people on sites where I may not be comfortable. So let's just say, for example, I thought party poker, I'm an ambassador of party poker, I'm like 100% behind them. Let's say that I, let's say that I um, completely hated party poker and I thought they were cheating everyone and I knew the RNG was broken or something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't want to be giving people money to essentially give to the rake machine on party poker. If mm-hmm. this was, you know, the belief I'm saying party poker because it's the opposite. Like, but at the same time for these people who didn't have enough money to go and play for themselves, it, it's important for them to play as much volume as possible to try to generate a bankroll, right? right? Like I'm very lucky that um, I've been playing for a long time. I'm in a position where I don't necessarily need to play some tournaments where I may be profitable to to chase like the maximum dollar return. But at the same time, I felt very guilty telling people, I don't want you to play on that side because of my moral beliefs. Do you right. know what I mean? I felt I these are guys I've been like family with for five years. And I'm saying, okay, because I believe in a certain way and European and Elmerics didn't actually believe in the same way as I believed. We had very different views on like some different sites and stuff. Um, I said, I have to leave. I can't be part of like the trio anymore because if I stay and I keep, I'm literally giving my money to something I don't believe in. And I think is not good for like the whole ecosystem, which I really, really want to kind of protect and that I've been involved in and uh, tried to build up with poly poker. I think when I went to poly poker, there was maybe like one fifty dollar tournament a week. Like they, they, we were right at ground zero, and we tried to build it all the way up. So it was. I, I really, I really always wanted to fight for the ecosystem. Let's say, and I didn't feel like I was in a position where I wanted to hand my literal money over to sites and give them rake if I didn't believe in it. So um, I decided to leave from a financial point of view. Whereas I got no profits or anything like this, any dollar anyone made, I didn't get anything, but I stayed in the community. I kept on, you know, like blogging just for them and talking to them and being active and you know, mm-hmm. answering hands, whatever, because my enjoyment and my fulfillment out of it wasn't a monetary one anymore. Right. It was a one of seeing people like rising up and seeing people succeed and stuff. And 
people can always call bullshit. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Like, yeah, sure. You don't care about the money, whatever, you know, like we, we told them for years, we literally don't care about the money. And until we actually told them play for yourself and we'll keep on coaching for free kind of thing, or we'll keep on contributing mm-hmm. for free. That's when they kind of realized that we were, we were what we were saying, if that makes sense. So that's kind of the, the long story. Sorry for, for dragging it out, but it's a, it's a relatively no, complex good. one. Oh, uh, yeah. so is BitB still in existence with the other two partners or has it totally dissolved? Uh, so after I left, um, the thing is we were always like, we, we were always like a free, always together, like splitting all responsibilities up, etc. And it happened during the pandemic really when the games online really started to explode, you know, like the high stakes games uh, and European and Elmerics were like, you know, maybe we would play one day a week on a Sunday and work like four days a week on the stable. But now they would start to maybe play, you know, four, five, six, seven days a week, whatever it may be. And eventually they made really good deals with all the guys to play for themselves. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go into like loans yeah, or whatever, yeah, but sure. they, everyone was put in positions where they could succeed. And uh, I would say European Elmerics, they're very behind the scenes. Like I was always kind of the public face for Bitby. Mm-hmm. I was kind of the one recognized, but uh, Elmerics European, like very, very essential key, key cogs of the whole system. And two of the most uh two of the most nicest and generous guys and they did really good things to make sure everyone will succeed moving forward which is really good um but there was bitby cash uh there's bitby there was bitby spins there was all sorts of different layers of bitby and that all still exists uh and is doing is doing very well i'm not involved um i'm still involved but not from a monetary point of view i'm like not overseeing but like i'm active and like you know i'm in the mixer let's say um for most of the stuff still one of the questions that i had were revolving around one of your posts that came along with not like if you have a stable or if you have horses like when these big tournaments come up like w coop scoop and these things and like the average buying of your horse like increases um and then the let's say they get into like tons of makeup then once the series is over they're kind of like forced to like the average buying goes down now on average. Uh, can you kind of talk about that, that thought process? Like how were you kind of controlling your horses in that situation? Because I completely understand it, especially let's say for example, like, a you know, WSOP uh, live might be like a bad example because those are like kind of, you know, they're one K's and stuff like that, but still like people are taking shots, right? Like people are taking shots at like the main event, 10 K the five K six max, like the three K's and a lot of these, Horses, especially ones that are playing online, that's not their average buy-in, right? So yeah. they're 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 firing hard in these like live in, in these live birds. How, talk to me a little bit about like that thought process that you put into that post because I thought it was really interesting. So so makeup as a model is very flawed. I don't think there's any company in the world who has had a makeup model which is uh, still running or as long term they've kept it as a makeup model. The, there's been some other alternative models suggested and implemented. I know Ben Solsky had an expiring makeup mm-hmm. model where essentially you played a number of games and after you played 600 or 700 games or 2,000 games or however many games, the makeup was just wiped off and you got like a lower percentage of profit or so, something along those lines, yeah. which in theory is the best way to do it. But in reality, if you're staking a guy or if you're staking you know, 200 guys and 150 of them uh, are down after a thousand games, and they know after 2,000 games their makeup gets wiped. They're very incentivized from a selfish point of view 
to rush the next thousand games, get them over and done with and start a new slate and get into uh, the process of making profit, you know? So there's basically no model which is being created by any company which has been long-term uh, profitable. There's been probably, I would say, a thousand plus stables in the yeah. last 10 to 15 years, I would imagine, like from sizes of like five players up to, you know, like thousands of players. And there's probably like, five or like less than five which have stood the test of time so it's it's not a model and but the re- one of the reasons why is what you said uh tournaments is all about uh these big series like scoop w cube wsop if you're a live player and your abi goes up dramatically and then afterwards and most people will either most people lose because that's just how tournaments work you know like nine, most people will lose during a big series and then afterwards you're just fucked because uh because you're in such a big makeup and you have to go back to a lower buy-in, especially over the last three years, I'd say, since Bitcoin exploded, the high buy-ins have just got higher and higher. I know that like four years ago when I was playing what was seen as high stakes MTTs, the highest buy-in was like a 215 Sunday warm-up on PokerStars and maybe like a free 20 now and again. And then you had like a super Tuesday on a Tuesday, 1K, which was really special. But like there was no regular high buy-ins, whereas now... You know, every Sunday there's a 25k, 10k, 5k, like really, really, really high mm-hmm. buy-ins, and people get into makeups which are psychologically a lot tougher to handle because you can be in, you can be in for the same amount of uh, buy-ins as you would be at a lower stake, which is the same thing essentially. But having to get a human being send you a hundred thousand dollars is very tough for most people to um, to accept. One of my toughest things uh, personally was uh access to high rollers and it wasn't about a lack of staking it was a, it was about i didn't i didn't want to collect like fifty thousand dollars off somebody like it was a leak in my mindset whatever it was that i just i hated losing other people's money um and if i lost if i didn't cash a tournament like very often i would say oh just like let's just wipe the markup off and stuff like this and personally i'm just very poor at like accepting huge sums of money because I grew up in like a relatively, you know, working class home where, you know, losing losing a hundred thousand dollars in a week where like, you know, the the house income may be, you know, like thirty, forty, fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars in a year. It was it's very tough for me personally to to accept. So when you're dealing with lots of people from, you know, Eastern Europe where I lived in Hungary, where, you know, the average salary might be ten thousand a year or whatever it is, um, having a lot of players again on on poker stars right now you can't play from the us you can't play from france you can't play from italy you can't play from portugal you can't play from australia you can't play from lots of places so a lot of the countries which are accessible to to staking groups maybe russia or hungary or czech republic whatever it may be for a lot of people it's very tough to to lose um you know houses and amount of money you know every week or two weeks wherever it may be so what you said is correct about the average buy-in about the average buying going up in series that's always been the case for like 15 years there's, there's always been a scoop in w coop but the thing is now the the high buy-ins are just getting so so high for whatever reason which is really bad for everybody um and because of that people are losing money which they're just like really uncomfortable to lose um tell us yeah. about that tell us about that like why 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 is it bad when you say like it's bad for everybody not like i don't think everybody understands that um well there's there's, there's a lot of reasons so first of all um 
if Berkey wanted to get money on PokerStars like 10 years ago, it was probably relatively easy. You know, like right now, if I wanted to deposit, um, let's say I wanted to play Sunday on a poker site. For, for people in the UK, for example, um, on a lot of sites, the maximum they can deposit a month is $600. And, you know, it's re- this, the regulation, what, what's happened is there's lots of regulations and segregated markets. So, you know, Italy, France, Spain, all these countries are GG now. But the countries which are staying, they're making it tougher and tougher and tougher. So you have loss limits. So, yeah. for example, on GG, this is a good thing. This is not against GG or anything. But if I ever lost more than $4,000 on GG, my account would be blocked. I would get a phone call from like a non-officer, like a like not a welfare officer, but like somebody checking in on my mental health. And they mm-hmm. have to do this to pass regulations. So I may log in the next day and I can't play because I'm waiting for the phone call, all this kind of stuff. So the barrier of the access is a lot tougher. And I think people in America don't realize this because depositing on ACR is probably a lot easier than depositing on the international sites. Um, So for me, I can get around it because I may send a message to this guy or send a message to that guy. Or usually most people Mm -hmm. send the message to me on party. I get uh, (laughs) thousands of these messages. It's probably my my most common ambassador, ambassador duty. Um, but if you're an amateur and you get your account blocked and you can't play the next day, you're probably not going to try and play on that site again. So right. a lot of amateurs, when they lose, they just don't come back because the experience of getting money online, the experience of getting money offline, the experience of documents, all that kind of stuff, um, it's so poor. And mm-hmm. Berkey will tell you, again, back in the day, PokerStars was so good at this because their customer support was so good. They understood what everyone needed and they didn't have all the governments down their throat. If you had a problem with PokerStars, you got a message back in two minutes and you got your money online. And this is why so many amateurs love playing on both Fulltilt and PokerStars because it was so easy to get, it was too easy to get money online, you know? Whereas now it's so, so tough to get money online. So if I have a bankroll of say $50,000 on PokerStars, I will do absolutely everything to protect that money. Like, going broke like going stars broke or going gg broke or going party broke is such a disaster because you you you, you don't have money for the next sunday essentially so mm. because the buy-ins go up up and up because we're all dgens we all want to play as high as possible but uh when you register that tournament and you don't cash which you won't cash in 90 like uh 85 of the time you then go broke and you can't play the next tournament so it's better for the site if i play 25 1k mm. buy-ins rather than 125k buy-in it's better for the amateur because he loses slower. Mm-hmm. Um, the pros probably make more money because more people can take shots and mm-hmm. more amateurs can get $1,000 online and recycle it and cash a PSG, get a bounty and recycle that, etc. So the higher, higher buy-ins, they don't really benefit anyone. And when, when somebody does have that big bink, whether it be you know a million or two million or whatever else, that's usually withdrawn really quickly yeah. uh, and it's out the ecosystem straight away, you know? Um, whereas if you cash, you know, say 70,000 in a 1K, you probably leave it online mm-hmm. if you want to use it for the next Sundays or whatever it for may sure. be. So sure. I don't really see why the, who these big buy-ins benefit, essentially. I, I have a lot of follow-ups to that because it does drill into uh, the current ecosystem and I think that that's what the bigger conversation is here. But I kind of want to stick a pin in it for one second because there's a, a follow-up question I wanted to ask about staking and makeup deals specifically, mainly because I think the audience really needs an education on this. Uh, I think a lot of top level pros, especially those of us who have done some staking or have been staked, recognize that makeup deals are absolutely atrocious. I don't think most people understand why and why it's not good for both the backer and the backee. Uh, But secondarily, I want to kind of pose uh, 
a question. We had Derek Walters on earlier this year, uh, who also used to run a stable, and I asked him kind of the same thing. I'm interested on your take. Uh, so the way that uh, I've structured my staking deals, and I don't really do it as formally as you guys did, for sure. It's more so just like close friends that I believe in or or people I work with. But um, the way I've always structured them, at least in the most recent five to 10 years, is very similar to a startup business. So it's easy for me to do this because I'm only doing it with one or two people at a time. And my ambition is not to get rich. It's to get them self-sustaining, right? So the idea is that I'm an outside investor. I'm a VC. And they're pitching me on a skill set in this instance, but you know it's comparable to a product or a business line, whatever the case may be. Uh, if they have some amount of money, then they put up that amount of money directly straight away for equi an equitable return. But in essence, what they're doing is they're selling me equity of their company at some sort of uh, valuation. So let's say I'm giving them 100K for a bankroll. This is what we did with Landon. Uh, we collectively gave him 200K as a bankroll um, and he put up zero, but he's basically selling us at a markup and we start him at a 70-30 split. Now, the idea is that the goal is not for him to... In, in, your, in your favor? Or yes, in favor? our favor, your right? Favor. So we're putting up all the capital. We're taking the lion's share of the return. But there are incentive-laden uh, milestones for him to hit that will allow him to earn more equity, right? So the first 100000 he makes, if he doesn't take it out of the business and he just reinvests, now he has 45% uh, equity. Or, or sorry, 50% equity. Uh, the next hundred thousand, he has 55% equity all the way with, it slides all the way back up to like a 70, 30, his way. So the idea mm -hmm. is to incentivize these players to grow a business in and of themselves while properly managing a fixed bankroll. And I think that this solves a lot of problems because with most makeup deals, it's unbeknownst to the backer and backy what amount that they're actually investing in each person. Uh, and I know this is a little bit trickier in a stable cause you're probably just collectively investing in the stable. Um, but you know, in essence, you could treat it as a pool where everybody gets like a little bit of the communal fund if they're willing to reinvest kind of thing. Uh, I'm just curious if your take on that rather than doing makeup, because in this particular instance, um, much like business, you can't operate in the red or, or sorry, you can't, you can't take profit cuts in the red. Um, mm -hmm. but like what we allow for is a salary. So he's able to take, you know, some small amount of a distribution every single month and it just puts him into the red and it doesn't really impact anything because he has to earn that money back anyway before he can earn equity. Yeah. So that's a really good idea for sure. And, uh, I think you need a specific guy for that to, to accept that kind of thing. The thing is an MTT is uh, the, the most of the guys in MTTs are trying to bink big and get yeah. and like get that big skull because let's say, let's say we want to stake a guy. Like we were lucky that we had, you know, anyone who wanted to be staked, not anyone, like, let's say 80% of people who wanted to be staked, they would apply to us as probably their first choice. I, I don't know. I could sure, be wrong, sure, sure. This is, yeah. what, this is what I would imagine. So to be at that level of someone we would we would take on or like a, a higher stable would take on like Pokar or BBZ or whoever it may be, um, or like the top Russian stables or the top Brazilian stables, to take on that guy who they're usually going to take on guys who have like really big profits already mm -hmm. rather than like a guy who maybe like Landon, who was like very raw, like they take like proven winners, let's mm -hmm. say. Yep. Um, and because of that, because they take on proven winners, these proven winners will always get offered a good deal. So like they only accept 50, 50 with us because we're going to stake them and give them, you know, like 25 K plus worth of mm -hmm. coaching a year. Sure. Whereas if we didn't, if we didn't coach them, uh, and they went to like a, a deal where they were just playing because of their record. 
a lot of people are offering like 60, 70% deals in their favor straight away. So as a stable, offering people initially 30, 70, even though it may be good for them in the long run, sure. most people who are at that stage just won't accept it because they can get already really good deals because there's so many people in poker. This is one of the reasons why I think stake and groups are so good for poker. And when I say stake and groups, people think I, I mean straight away a group with a thousand people. The best staking groups are the rich guy who wants to stake five people because he has an upswing in crypto or an upswing in stocks or an upswing in himself. He's won a bracelet, whatever it may be. And he has he wants to stake five people, give them 50, 60 percent, whatever it may be, and just try to bink big and mm-hmm. play a scoop, play a W coup and what else. And 95 percent of the time, this always goes wrong. The guys end up in huge makeup. He's very bad at accounting. He doesn't keep track of this or track of that. And these guys, he just ends up just writing off, say, 300, 400, 500K, whatever it may be. And this money just gets basically, this money just basically been added to the ecosystem. Sure. And then these guys bounce around to the next deal, to the next deal, to the next deal. So if you can get a really good guy like Landon who understands you guys are a good group of guys, you're going to help him. It's going to be a long-term, really good deal. He's going to, it's going to end up with him with 70% and you have, he has that vision. Sure. But, but the thing is the pool of players for staking is just like, is mostly degens to some degree yeah. rather than this young Landon Tice. So, that makes sense. so do you think that that a couple of questions there, do you think it's sustainable for backing groups to be giving the proven winners 60, 40, 70, 30 splits? And then secondarily, uh, I understand what you're saying as far as like, it's difficult to sell the vision. Um, but I think like the way that you get around that is, uh, you offer them almost like shares, like profit shares of the, collective pool so maybe now mm-hmm. instead of giving them 70 30 or whatever they still get 50 50 but like 20 percent is withheld as an investment into the entire staking group so essentially you're partnering with them uh at a diluted level yeah uh, i don't know how practical yeah. any of this stuff is but I, i'm i'm really more curious to the former just mainly doubling back on the fact that like makeup is bad for everybody and that's really misunderstood makeup is very bad for everyone for sure but the, the the main the main problem is let's say let's say I like let's just take a, a huge win let's take Daniel Devoris right let's mm-hmm. say for some reason I'm in a position where I'm a staker and Daniel Devoris wants to get staked to play 5k buy-ins right so Daniel Devoris wants to get staked to play 5k buy-ins there's loads of 5k buy-ins every day Tuesday Thursday Sunday we can get a lot of volume in these tournaments and I I know let's just say for some reason I know he's a 21 percent winner let's be very specific. Okay. Daniel Devoris is a 21% winner in 5K tournaments. So I start giving Daniel Devoris money. He starts playing. He's a 21% winner. Everything's great. Accounting's great. How, at what stage do I know he turns from a 21% winner to a 22% winner or from a 21% winner to a 20% winner, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's very, very tough to gauge how you can do an initial deal, which could be very good if everything makes sense. But it's the next step, maybe after six, three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, 15 months, 18 months, 21 months, whatever it may be, he's not going to stay a 21% winner. He'll either go down a bit or up a bit, down a lot, up a lot, whatever it may be, depending on how much he puts in, yeah. depending on how much other people put in, RTA, all these other kind of factors. And for most people who stake, they're not going to be players who are better than Daniel Devoris. They're going right. to be players who are worse than Daniel Devoris. You can't subjectively analyze his game as a player and... Let's say his gra- they can't really analyze the graph because variance in tournaments is always really, really dumb. Just because his graph looks like this doesn't mean it actually is supposed to be like this. So it ends up in a stage where I've seen um, in, in Bitby's uh, history, essentially, is that 
we've managed to see in small things because we were always playing higher stakes than the guys below us. And we could see these tendencies or we could pass down tendencies that we saw better players doing. But the stables, which didn't do as well, were the guys who just, their players were better players than the investors. And Mm -hmm. it's very tough for them to make the quick decision, say, okay, this guy has dropped off 7% or he's gone up 5%, let's move him up, whatever it may be. It's very, very, very tough for 95% of stakers to understand when an investment has changed. Because if I'm offering you a deal and you're a 20% winner, I'm going to offer you a different deal to a 5% winner. Sure, I'm going to sure. offer a 60% winner, a different deal to a 20% winner. Like That's very natural. But if I'm not as good as these players, how can I know when this guy right. from 20% is catching up to the 60% guy? It's bas- it's impossible. Right. It's like also, an impossible business model to do. Yeah, and there also seems to be very little flexibility for the staker. So it seems like it's really tough to conquer uh, outside of just having like mass volume of uh, stakeys that can kind of like cycle through. So when this guy drops off from 20%, you have another guy who's rising up and he's filling the void. Uh, and maybe you have him well, under a better yeah, contract. Well, even so, that doesn't really, like, what, what, what we realized was, let's say I have, uh, let's say um, you have Berkey who wins 100K and Landon who loses 100K. So I've given Berkey 50K, uh, I keep 50K, and I'm down 100K from Landon. So mm-hmm. I'm actually minus 50K, mm-hmm. even though one guy is, is winning the money, the other guy is losing. Do you know what I mean? So you actually yeah, yeah, need... Yeah. You actually need twice as many people to win as the guy is losing just to be even. Right, right, so if right. you want to make it a profitable business, you have to have like four times as many people winning as the guys who start to lose, you know, which is really tough to do because, you know, if you have 200 guys, how or if you, if it need, then it needs to be on a really large scale, right? So yeah. then if you have 200 guys, how the fuck do you manage to know where 200 guys all are? You know, it, right. it's basically, like I said, people think poker staking is this easy thing, get rich scheme. But if it was this easy and there's so many successful poker players, there would just be these companies printing millions for 15 years and it's not true. There's no one around, you know, and the amount of money which must have been added to the ecosystem from all these staking groups, I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive it's more than any other form of like acquisition of players, whether it be affiliate, whether it be signing Neymar for Pokestars, whether it be signing Dan Bilzerian or whoever for GG, yeah. you know, it could be Conor McGregor. You could get any person in the world. They will never bring in as much money per year as staking groups in my opinion you know no, i could no, be wrong maybe sure. i'm biased but so this is why so make the case then make the case why people should get into staking because it's obvious why it's good for the ecosystem it redistributes a lot of wealth and that's very critical it's like introducing a lot of amateur money um but that argument seems like sites are incentivized to run these backing stables uh it's a good acquisition model right what is mm-hmm. the incentive for someone like yourself to get back into staking. Like uh, I, I know like on the onset of this, the idea was that, uh, you know, you and I both firmly believe that, that backing in poker is a fundamental necessity, but mm-hmm. it sounds very yeah. doom and gloom from, from like the conversation we're currently having. Yeah. So I think, I think it needs to be seen as it needs to be given. Uh, like I said, I started staking for money mm-hmm. and then I ended staking for personal entertainment, personal, uh, not self-development, but like yeah, the sweat, yeah. the enjoyment, the whole factor of it. And I think what GG have is the perfect thing. So in GG, uh, you guys know the client, like the stake and stuff mm-hmm. in the client. Yep. So yeah. like if a guy wins, pieces, yeah. let's say a guy wants to, let's say a guy cashes 54,000. Often they cash out 50,000. They have 4,000 left. 
in the past, they used to like spin it up on cash games or like sit at a 5K, heads up, sit and go and try to spin up this 5K. And the site doesn't get much rake from this 5K, right? Like if I if I play heads up against uh, Linus Love and I play like 100 hands, I'm probably gonna, I'm not going to rake much money, you know, like mm-hmm. rake back. And by the time I paid for the my 50K deposit, uh, my 50K withdrawal and they've paid like Visa 20% or whatever it may be, the, the site's very... Uh, incentivized for me not to gamble my last 5,000 and give it to the richer guy. Like, don't give him the money. So what they've done now is on GG, which I think is very good, is you can stake players in the client and they can sell at markup and whatever it may be. And uh, this also helps like people who can't get money online. So I spoke about previously, mm. it's very tough to get money online. So during the series last last month, I played a few 25Ks on GG but I would never have done this if I couldn't sell in the client. Even if someone would take 99% at 1.5 markup offline, I wouldn't do it because I can't get this money physically online. I have like a deposit limit. But now I can sell in the client 80% mm-hmm. at 1.2. I can free roll and start to build my bankroll up. I wouldn't sell at 1.2 because it's 25k. But I'm sure. just, I just knew yeah, whatever. Easy, easy yeah. numbers. A designated markup, yeah. And then people can also have the sweat. And also, they don't have to have the account, uh, the accountant, the accountancy. One of the biggest problems in poker is you have to pay someone to do the accountancy, or you do it yourself, and that never ever ends mm-hmm. up well. Now you pay a little bit of premium markup, whatever it may be, and you can do it all in the client. Afterwards, the money's straight into your account. You don't need to check anything, and you start to have the entertainment value. May, there might be a players chat where they can post their bad beats if they really want to, or they can post like a fun bluff they made, and only you can see it. So I think I think all sites long-term need to go this model somewhere or another um, where essentially you can take action in somebody uh, and uh, they need to enhance the entertainment side of it so maybe you get like picture messages to your whatsapp every time they play a pot over 50 big blinds or every hour on the break you get a text message like an, an optional text message where you can have please. alerts on and for, for some players or yep. maybe someone gets into the money and that pops up somewhere whatever it may be this mm-hmm. you know this is the in in terms of the whole poker uh the whole poker online poker scene this is at the very 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 start now we're not even one percent in of what it could be mm-hmm. but long term this has to be the way you know because everyone loves staking everyone loves the sweat nobody loves makeup uh, everyone hates accountancy. Everything is all together inside this kind of thing. Um, you can even have long-term staking like this. People do do long-term staking like this. So people will buy the like. Let's say Berkey wants to sell to every tournament to me for a week. I will. He will. He will send me a message. I've put up all the action, and then I can just go in and buy all the action mm-hmm. straight away. So yeah. there's ways where you can do this too. Right. The problem is. It's very easy for money laundering. It's very easy to get around the things that that the governments don't want you to do. So sure. I could sell 99% at a two markup and get 2x the buy-in, which is obviously something dodgy going on. Then I can get the money into my account and then, then the governments aren't going to like that. It can get closed down. So it needs to be regulated in a, in a, in a way where you can't bend those rules, I think, to, to allow it to have long-term sustainability. But I think... I think this is the way, and I think props to. I mean, uh, there's a guy at Party Poker called John T. Willis who was working on this, I think, three years ago. Uh, and this was being a long-term vision of Party Poker to have this in their client too. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I should be saying that, whatever. But yeah. I know long-term it is a desired uh, thing from. G- well, it's in GG already. They're very good at getting things in quickly. It's a long-term vision for Party to be that route, or at least it it was previously, and. 
and uh, actually, I, I don't want to say I took, made the idea or anything, but I made a post about this, I think, like six years ago or so, where where I, I said basically on in scoops, I wanted to play a 215 scoop, I think, and I just didn't have the money to do it or the bankroll. And I said, what if I like, what if I register for the tournament? And if someone wants to put me in, like there used to be a term like put somebody in, they would basically put the 215 in and keep 50%. So it'd be like a 1.5 marker mm-hmm. where I'd be getting like a free roll or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I suggested Pokestars to do. This was when like staking was very like unsophisticated, like a long time ago. But obviously now I think this method of GG is very good. Um, I would cap the markup so that amateur players can't be punished because sure. a lot of a lot of professional players with big names, even ambassadors for the side, they will often use markups which they know are they're not profitable, but they know that the the market out there will want to sweat in them, kind of thing. Yeah, that, that's an um, age old conflict with like state kings and things like that, where Helmuth is selling it like two o for a five k turbo at the World Series. Um, and yeah. I've spoken out against that, but like. I've kind of walked it back a little bit in the sense that uh, I don't know that it's my place to police somebody selling their likeness or celebrity. Then again, like, you know, I feel like there are so many bad actors. Like, we see it in the training space. There are so many guys who are just, like, fugazi and selling fucking crystals that they wear around their neck and calling it poker training. And, you know, we let this shit fly because nobody wants to step on anyone's toes and everybody wants to claim the free market. But I think at some point, like, it's responsibilities of those of us who have made it to be the eyes and ears for the amateurs for the yeah. entry-level positions I, I i don't personally see it too bad uh like offline i think online i'm trying to really protect make sure not too much money leaves you know it's very important yeah. it doesn't i think i think offline in terms of like buying an experience i always think a lot of things are experience you know sure. like um if, if, it, if someone let's say uh michael jordan let's say it costs fifty dollars to go to the cinema but I pay, you know, like $500 to sit next to Michael Jordan in the cinema. I'm going to pay the 10x yeah. markup, even mm-hmm. though it's the same cinema. So, like, having a sweat of Helmy, if you might be your hero, and, like, it's not many industries where you can, like, you know, be part Invest of his team. You yeah. know? So yeah. I, I, see, I, see, I, I do see a place for it. I think more so on Twitch, where you can actually, like, be interactive in a chat with the guy, and you right. can, like, sweat along with him and see his whole yeah. cards. I, I think markups there for sure like they're they're exposing their game and stuff like yeah. this and i definitely see that I, I i feel like it should be done in innovating and win again all of this stuff we're so we're, we're, we're so we're, it's we're new territory yeah. part of the product you know so where we're at in 10 years i think will define how both online and offline probably is you know because everything is essentially about entertainment uh like you know home games are more popular than casino games because it's more entertaining and i think everything will be about the entertainment of the amateurs or the entertainment of the bankrollers or the stakeys or whatever mm. it may be. And it's funny that we're talking now that like we need to make staking groups like VIPs and give them good entertainment. Like it's funny that what how, the circle well, we've come in. I mean, that's, I was always called scum previously, you know, now, yeah. now, now I'm a VIP. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I mean, all right. So I, I guess that leads me into the next question, which is a, a relatively important one. Do you think it's a conflict of interest if the operators themselves start orchestrating these groups? Because to me, they, are in the acquisition model game, right? And there's no faster way to acquire people than to offer them free money. Um, but you know, we we kind of have this taboo set around the idea of sites being able to recoup any of that free money that they offer through any method other than rake. But it seems to me like you know, Poker Code is linked up with GG. Uh, you're an ambassador for Party, formerly uh, uh, an owner of BitB. It seems to make a lot of logical sense. 
for Party Poker to say like, hey, we'd like to sign Bit B to a one-year staking deal. We're going to give you $1 million worth of buy-ins. Feel free to distribute them as you see fit. And we want a 25% cut on whatever your profits are. You guys keep the other, you know, whatever, whatever deals you work out with your, your clients. To me, that seems very much in line with the incentives that we're talking about. We need to get that money back into circulation in some capacity. And the operators are just, you know, maybe I, maybe I don't know the online landscape that well, but it seems to me that it's apocalyptic right now with uh, the fighting the good fight versus RTA, uh, the amount of money that's yeah. being funneled up to the top with just these excellent players who are playing the highest buy-ins and really not redistributing yeah. it amongst the collective. Yeah, I mean, I think sites do do this already. I, I don't think it's possible so much on like, you know, maybe maybe stars and party, but like there's, there's a lot of sites who have, you know, like agents. So like, let's mm -hmm. say a new site comes up, like I, 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 I literally have no clue here. So like, I don't even know if they do tournaments because I don't play on any apps, but let's say Poker Bros, for example, I don't know, like I'm saying first, I have no idea. Let's say Poker Bros has uh, like a tournament uh, schedule. And they say to let's say they say to Bitby, uh, do you want to be an agent? Uh, and you get you know forty percent of the rake of mm -hmm. the players you bring, uh, and then poker bros also charge really high rake. It, it's essentially the same thing as giving you know a staking company a million dollars and giving them twenty five percent free roll or whatever it may be, or twenty five percent they or seventy five percent of free roll, whatever it may be. Like I think sites do do that with like agents and like the agents now aren't necessarily uh, like affiliates like Poker News or, you know, PokerStrategy.com, who I used to work for. Mm -hmm. It is more kind of guys who are well-known in the industry, um, guys who are very connected in the industry, guys who, you know, know a lot of people in the industry. And that is also including uh, probably at the very top, you know, stakers who really, they, they, they don't just know people, they bankroll the people too. So, um, yeah, like, is it better for like an affiliate to get, you know, 40% of a guy's rake or 30% of a guy's rake? Or is it better for his backer to get the 30 or 40% of the rake? I mean, mm -hmm. to me, it feels like the backer, I, I mean, I'm not even biased cause I'm not involved in it, but mm -hmm. to me from a logical point of view, it seems like I was always getting offered deals on different sites. Like, Oh, if you come with my agent, you'll get 50%. If you come with my agent, you'll get 40%. If you come right. with my agent, you get 30%. So maybe, Maybe making maybe if the sites give the staking groups, uh, if they make them agents, the players have to play for their agent because they are staking them, right? Like that's part of kind of the deal. Yeah. And then maybe uh, like Bitby, I said we were very selective. We used to take on like one or two guys a month maximum uh, for the last year. If we knew, okay, well, if this guy loses, we're getting 40% rebate. We're like, oh, well, now we're going to take on seven guys. Yeah. And now these next five guys, they're not that good because we didn't take them on initially. These guys you know, maybe 50% of them are losers. And now we're starting to stake people every day into 20 tournaments who are losers, you know? Yeah. And there's not many VIPs who play six days a week uh, who are getting free money just given to them every day. Just, yeah, just keep playing, keep losing, no problem. Just keep trying, right. keep trying. Hopefully your graph improves. You know, like this is, there's not many like whales, let's say, or VIPs like that. Like, I, yeah. I think you're nailing it. I mean, I think that that is the ultimate model, right? Like it cuts out the potential conflict of interest that I'm discussing with the operator being directly involved. Um, but it gets that influx of money, like that surge. Uh, and the reason I bring this up is because, uh, and maybe you can paint me a better picture, but again, just like the, my, my vision of online right now is that it's a really tough landscape. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of spoke a little bit offline, uh, and I was kind of shocked at some of the numbers, but at the same token, I wasn't really all that surprised 
you know, we've seen buy-ins increase 10, 20 X of what they used to be, as we kind of mentioned on the onset of the show. Uh, and then on top of that, it's just things are getting pretty brutalized out there, man. Like we're, we're seeing these staking groups exit, which is taking a lot of money out of the ecosystem uh, is, is online on a downturn post pandemic. Like did we see the boom and now the crash or do you think mm. that this is kind of just like a bump in the road? It's a pump and dump. Yeah. So yeah. So a few things, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm not sure. Do you remember when you played MTTs, how much you would rake in a year? I would imagine it would have been around like 10 mm. K I remember Supernova Elite was like 100k. No tournament player ever got close to that. Yeah, so like, I, I was. I imagine it was like 10 to 15, 10 to 15k or something like that. I yeah, guess. Yeah. Um, With rake back. I so, yeah, so, yeah. So you got like yeah, exactly. It was like maybe you got maybe you rake like 10k a year, and obviously if you rake 10k a year, there's only so much you can lose, etc. Like I looked at the top 40 or like 40 regular guys who play play a bunch and are like playing in the games I play in, and the average rake so far. Uh, this was at the start of May, so like five months into the year, was I think $94,000 so far. So Per person. Per annum, they're raking, you know, over 200K each. So if you just take wow. like a 200 runner field, like at the highest stakes, previously you had like maybe 50 guys raking 10K a year. Mm. Now you have like 40 guys raking like 200K a year. So like that's a... I mean, I, I hope I hope that's that's eight million dollars, right? Yeah. So let's just say they rake eight million dollars. This is in a two hundred runner field, right? So the forty guys rake eight million dollars. Let's say the next fifty guys rake another, say four million dollars, like half the volume, half the buy-in, whatever. So that's twelve million. Then let's say the next hundred guys rake between the next hundred guys. Let's say they rake five million. You know, like that's probably reasonable. So you have then $17 million of rake being taken. Yeah, so before anyone even starts to make money and profit and, you know, buy Lambos and buy more Bitcoin, whatever it may be, the winning players have to win $17 million for the whole pool to be even just from the rake, yeah. you know, which is which is wild, which is really wild. And these are also conservative numbers because a lot of players are blocked on most sites. You don't actually see how much right, they're raking. So right. This 17 million, very likely 20 million, 25 million, whatever it may be. So this pool of players needs to win 25 million just before they break even. Then you have 40 guys who are considered like top, high level, high stakes MTT players who you would imagine would be making like 500k plus a year. You know, when you have your guys like Oxota, Tim Adams, Ike Haxton, Jason Kuhn, like you'd imagine these guys are making, you know, like 500K plus a year, right? Like that's For kind sure. of reasonable, I would say. If they're raking, especially like 200,000, putting lots of volume in. So then let's say that's another, that's another, you know, like 10 million plus taken. So now you have $27 million somehow being won, which needs to be lost. You then have like the plus 5% regs, you know, like guys mm -hmm. who are quite good, you know, who are like breaking in the scene or like, They've done okay. They're starting to get better. That's going to be another, you know, like let's just say five million, whatever it may be. I'm trying to be as conservative yeah. as possible. And then, and that, so that's we're getting on to like thirty plus million. And then, you know, you have you have amateurs who are losing. But this is, you know, it's hard for that yeah. much money to be lost, especially when I said about depositing loss limits and just just losing that much money. It's hard for that many people to show up. And let's say this group of amateurs lose this thirty million this year or last year. Let's say they did lose last year during the pandemic. 
Are they going to keep losing this year? Are they going to keep losing the next year? Are the staking groups going to still... Because the top players usually aren't staked. It's the guys who are like between minus 5 and plus 5% in these fields who are going to be staked. The, if the, the guys who are funding these guys, are they going to just keep losing 5 million, 10 million in their funds every year? Yeah. You know, like it's just, not, it's just not sustainable to happen. It's impossible. Well, we've already um, kind of seen that crash, right? Like there was the, the big high EV spot that was demonstrated on GG last year where... 25Ks were getting fired, uh, you know, 10 to 15 per day for the better part of like two and a half months. And one specific VIP, I believe, lost something in the neighborhood of 16 to 25 million, uh, something along those lines. But it got zapped up by, you know, this collective of 15 to 25 high stake pros, uh, kind of like you're mentioning, that, you know, maybe were selling, but definitely weren't backed uh, and largely are probably cutting their volume way, way, way down once that spot doesn't present itself any further. So, you know, I think it is very reasonable that a lot of the VIPs and, you know, these guys that you're talking about that are like maybe minus 5% to plus 5% are accounting for the 30 million being taken out of the pool annually. But this is new territory, right? We're putting in mass volume now at the 5k plus buy-in level. And it's been about a year since that slew of 25ks were running on GG. And now all of a sudden, here we are, we're seeing these fields shrink. Uh, but more importantly, I think, and I think this speaks to your point of the ecosystem as a whole, we're seeing a shrinkage occur at the the low to mid stakes that we've never seen before. Uh, I know you mm -hmm. sent me a graph or, or sent me a screenshot earlier of um, one of the telltale signs that you were fearing was the Party Poker 109 dropped from like 100K guarantee. It was... Pokerstars. Or, sorry, sorry, sorry. My, my apologies. <laughs> uh, the the Pokerstars yeah. one on that. Yeah. It yeah. it used to be a 100K guarantee, if, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Even more, I think. I would I think even more, like, at one point, for sure. Yeah. Right. And now we like, see... Like, this it. is the bigger... This is the sun... I think the daily big... I think the big one on nine used to be 100K. And this is the Sunday one, which is, like, mega. It's called bigger. You know, it's like... It, like, it is bigger. It's, like, it's supposed to be the really, the really bigger big one. one on nine. I mean. Yeah. And now we see that it's an 8K guarantee. Which means, and also, that, it's like I guess it's free X reentry now. It used to be like freeze out, I guess, as okay. well, like to some degree, and all that stuff going on. And so, what do we attribute to this? Is it the reentry? Is it the lack of backing? Is it the RTA? Is it all of the above? Uh, is there like any one thing that we can position here to try to correct? Like, what what root cause can we solve here? Well, the thing is, it's like I mean, I've never taken any drug in my life, so I'm just guessing here. But I guess if you take like a soft drug. And then you take a hard drug and you get addicted. You probably don't want to go back to the soft yeah, drug. Yeah, yeah, I, I also have never taken a drug, but I imagine you don't go from heroin to like smoking weed. <laughs> right, exactly. And because the series get pumped up so much and there's so many big buys and you can win so much money, now winning like 10K, which was like the pinnacle, like winning 10K was huge, like massive. Winning 20K was like massive. If you win 50K, it was like unbelievable. But now in like, a, let's say a 50K tournament, first place will be like 7K and like still lots of money, but winning 7K is not the dream anymore for people. Do you know what I mean? Those are American sites gets, right now, you know? The dream just gets bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. And because sites are fighting between each other to so who has the biggest tournament this Sunday or, okay, well, this site has a bigger tournament. We need to catch them up. What they do is they sacrifice a lot of tournaments. So a lot of tournaments become withered and very bad because mm -hmm. of reentry, but some will go huge and they'll just be like these, you know, 10x entries, 12x entries, etc. And a lot of people's like if I'm an amateur, 
I'm just going to try to go for that big one, you know, because mm-hmm. I see, okay, I yep, want yep. the, I start seeing like a six figure score or I start seeing a 50K score. I'm not interested in the 7K score anymore, right. you know? So I feel like mid stakes suffers a lot because of the hard drugs which were being fed during these series, essentially. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's one of the reasons. Um, and also, like, I know personally, I used to stake probably like 100 people in the big 109 every Sunday, I would imagine which is more than the current guarantee, by the way. Mm-hmm. I would probably stake 100 people into the tournament, which is 10% of the field. And I was seen as like a scum, like, oh, this guy has so many people in the field, blah, blah, blah. But because let's say, let's say, I, let's say tomorrow I added those 100 people back, it wouldn't turn into an 18K guarantee tournament. Once it gets to 18K, it starts to be more desirable for some more people. So maybe it goes up to 20K mm. uh, or maybe stars just say, let's just make it 20K. And then maybe another staking group be like, oh, now it's gotten bigger. We're going to add our 100 guys to it. Now it's a 30K guarantee. Then some amateurs are like, oh, well, first place is actually 10K now rather than 1K or whatever. I'm going to start to play because I only play for five figures. Then it gets up to 50K. And now it starts to become a really good tournament again. Right. But once one staking group pulls out and it goes from 100K to 75K because they they overlay for two weeks and they panic, oh, we need to move it down to a round amount then it's like, oh, it's not as attractive because 100K looks a lot better. Then it drops to 50. And just just like you don't see it happening week to week. But over time, if you see things, it will just drop, drop, drop and down. And usually the biggest sprinkle is because there's been a bunch of money exited out of the ecosystem. It might be a regulated country, but very often it is a stable. It will be like a big stable, which is like, fuck this. We're not going to play this tournament anymore. Either they leave the site Either they leave this tournament because their data tells them it's low win rates, whatever it may be, but often it will come from a staking group. And we saw this, we, we saw this in a bunch of times when we when we quit tournaments, they ended up killing them afterwards. And we're not trying to say, oh, like this is our tournament or anything. Just like we left certain sites because we had uh, problems with them. They stole money from us. And when we left the sites, the sites were like six months later, most of their tournaments were fucked, you know, like. It, and we're not even that big, like a Russian stable or Brazilian stable, which has like three times as many people as we had. If they take everyone out, you know, it, or they let's say they go on holiday for a week together, it's going to hurt the ecosystem for sure, you know? Yeah, it does speak to a coordinated effort that's necessary between operator and, and player. And I think that we lack that overall synergy right now. What what happens what happens next, I guess? Because uh, well, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm very much on the American side of like, let it die. I don't give a shit. This, this is your yeah. all problem. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I'd say, like, I think it first of all shows the power of a potential poker union where, mm-hmm. you know, if, if one staking group can cause such disruption at times, if the whole poker community is in a collective together, they can um, show sites that they can destroy tournaments very quickly or grow tournaments very quickly and support good efforts. And I feel like some long-term ecosystem stuff has to change, whether it be rake whether it be re-entry, whether it be resources pooled together to get certain countries back, whether it be like a players' union forming together to help uh, fight back against some government options, whatever it may be, I think working together is the way to save it, probably, uh, to a certain degree. I feel like making it entertaining for people who add money to the ecosystem is is good, whether that be staking groups or whether that be people individually staking individual tournaments. Like I remember on GG actually, um, I, me and Elmerix, we decided one Sunday, I think, 
to go in all the lobbies on GG between like 109 and 300 and stake every single Brazilian. So we didn't even look who they were. We were like, okay, we're, we're going after Team Brazil tomorrow. This is a fun know? game. And it didn't matter if their markup was 1.0, 1.3, 1.2. Like, okay, tomorrow we're looking for Brazilian flags at the top of the top of the uh, top of the lobbies, you know. And you know, like this is like the most dumb, and not because of Brazil, but just the dumb approach to putting the money into the ecosystem. It's like daily right? fantasy like, it, as an amateur, basically. Yeah, right. We're just fun for us. Like mm. it's fun. Like okay, cool. Let's do it. You know, like let's. It was a fun thing, but long term, this can't be a business model. But if you can allow people to to do this stuff from a fun way and make that experience really fun for them. I don't know, maybe sites even do something like a country specific thing promotion every, every week where if you stake a Brazilian player on the site or if you stake a Russian player on the site, they will two extra win-ins if they win the big tournament of the week. Then you get loads of Brazilians starting to um, yeah. sell themselves in tournaments, like loads of $5 ABI guys start selling themselves 80% in 109s. Mm -hmm. Then you get loads of people like me who have the opportunity to do 2x. And because so many new players have entered the pool, the prize pool now increases because of it. And then it grows. Amateurs play because the prize pools increase. Like, I don't feel like these things are that sophisticated. Like, I've just made this up now on the fly. You know, like these people in these companies have hundreds of thousands of people working for them. You can come up with some pretty cool stuff, like, and think about things to. Rather than just letting things die, okay, well, yeah, the, the staking groups are losing, so let's just let them lose, let them die. You know, like you can fight back against these things quite well. You know, like uh, like the marketing budgets you have for like sports stars and ambassadors and whatever else. You know, like sack me and do a Brazilian promotion <laughs> for a week better. You know, like yeah. go for it. You sure. know, like I don't know, like this is this is the stuff I would do. You know, if I was like running the site from top to bottom. Like yeah. I think I don't know what do you think about that kind of idea. Maybe I'm No, no, no. I, I honestly like yeah, it's I'll, always I'll a pleasure see. to talk to you because I think that you are very innovative with this stuff. I think you have your 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 ear to the ground of like what's going on. I think party hit a home run signing you as an ambassador and I hope that they're listening whenever you come up with these sort of ideas. We just lack coordination top to bottom, man. Whether you're talking about sites between one another, like rather than working in coordination, they kind of compete. Or you're talking about the players versus uh, operators. Like, it, it's just very little union, uh, like, like very little camaraderie, very little uh, unionizing between the two forces. And I think that it leads to more problems than solutions. Something has to give, in my opinion. Uh, you know, it's already an uphill battle to fight against technology. Uh, you know, we, we kind of brushed on it a few times and never really dug in, and we don't have the time to now. But, you know, RTA is a thing. And I know that most sites are fighting diligently day in and day out to secure their sites against that. But the other side of the coin is you're you're not acquiring new members. You're just losing people in droves. And it's going to take a lot of innovation and a lot of these gamifying poker, whether it's from the fan side or from the player side, in order to bring in an influx of money. So I, I do think that these are good ideas. I, I hope operators are listening and I hope that they take it to heart. Yeah, I'd also say that as an industry, we probably don't pay like, wages comparable with like other industries which are like you know doing other kind of things mm -hmm. and instead of always innovating ourselves, maybe like looking at what like esports do or like looking at how like certain esports games run mm -hmm. and see like what promotions they come up with because they will have guys who are just working full-time trying to find new ways you know which will be yeah. like way smart than i will be mm -hmm. and just copying what they do and bring it over to our side and trying it out mm -hmm. probably is a good way to do things as well i feel like in poker it's all like like i you know i love dal brunson love, but it's all about like let's stick to our roots you know like yeah poker's this game and we're gonna do it our way like keeping poker poker you know like it feels like it's cool to have like a freeze out you know 
proper poker, deep stacked, you know, it's like, uh, where in reality, the best thing in poker has been PSKOs, which were never around previously, you know, right. like, that's been the biggest improvement in poker. And that came from like kind of lotteries and other kind of stuff. And, you know, from that's probably come influence from an, another industry. And mm-hmm. um, I'm sure there's hundreds of ideas from esports and other things, which I have no clue about where we could probably take it and bring it over. And I think if there was a players union, which I've always been very strong for, they could come up with ideas and provide them to sites. Because I feel like whenever I've set up an idea to party, stars, GG, all the sites, A to A to some degree, um, they've always listened and they've always kind of implemented and they've always like been like, oh, grateful to, to hear things. And they've, they've done things like, they, they do what players want a lot of the time. Like, oh, that's a good idea, which we thought about. We're going to do it. You know, like you hear that quite a lot of the time. So yeah. if there was a coordinated players union, which was really working like this, um, coming up with ideas and providing them, I feel like this would be a good way, a good way to do it for sure. Because I know with Staken and Bitby and Party, it's like, okay, Party and Bitby together, it's dodgy because they're a Staken team and they're a site and maybe they're doing this or maybe they're doing that. People always look cynically because of like, thinking it's your interests really, yeah, yeah, you know where yeah. it's not really like let me ask you something pads you staked a lot of people let's say one of your horses went like and challenged somebody uh like openly without you knowing right and you just like wake up you know check your phone you know you you, you talk to them every day right you wake up and all of a sudden you know there's like seven hundred and twenty thousand dollars of your money out in the world <laughs> You know, bet against another person. And not only that, they're laying them odds. <laughs> and now you're on the hook because what are you going to do? You can't just be like, no, 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 we're off now. Like, yeah, we're, we're a team. We're, we're a team, right? So yeah. what, what do you do then? Because that's, that's listen, we almost, you know, I don't want to name any names, but people almost got choked <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, very good. Very good. Yeah, I would, um, yeah, I'd probably. I'd probably evaluate, see if, see if, see if uh, I agreed you made a good decision, and then if so, I guess you know you got to back. You got you got to ride with your boys, uh, right? You got to ride. You 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 have a poker genius and a negotiation fish. So it's just yeah. like wh- you take the good with the bad. You know, it's like we we hope that he's winning for ten. Yeah. 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 Maybe maybe approve all of his tweets before he tweets out in the future. Oh yeah, like man. This, so. this kid maybe, could use a social maybe media take manager. Over his social media account could be, could be the one. <laughs> I don't Get know. He, he is the meme guide and we're just old timey regs. So uh, we, we don't want to step on his toes too much. The kid's out there doing his thing. He's playing, right? He's going to play in like shortly, yeah. right? We're actually going to kick it right to the to the pregame after this. Yeah, it's like eight yeah. minutes away. So give us give us your your little uh, like input on Bill Perkins versus obviously, you know, you're, you're a tournament guy, but still <laughs> like you're, yeah. you've been following um, the kind of like Daniel versus. Doug. Where'd you bet? Yeah. That's that's all we want to know. What'd you bet? Um, I bet on Landon. Um, my man. Yes. My this is why we have you on. Oh, no. Don't say that part. My biggest fear for Landon is I, I don't know Landon's game very well. I, I speak to him quite a lot, whatever, but I don't know his game well. I don't know Bill's game that well. But my biggest fear for Landon would be that he would get too caught up in the Sims and not caught up enough in Bill's psychological state during different parts of the game. So, like, not taking impacts on, like, how he plays between hand 200 and 300 mm. and how he plays behind between hands like 500 and 600, mm. how he plays after he's lost, you know, 200 big blind pots. I know this is like a very kind of... Nah, bro, uh, you would be a sick live cash game player. 
You would be yeah, good. Yeah, I actually played like cash game mostly now. Actually, <laughs> yes, but, yeah. talk- I, I feel like this is what this is how this match will be determined. And I also feel like Bill will be approaching the game in the same way. Like when I listened yeah. to him, was it on your podcast yeah. yesterday? Yeah, he was yeah, like, yeah. Oh, he's like, oh, I, I know it's a call, but I just didn't think he would bluff that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like he said that really quickly. I mm-hmm. don't think Doug would have done that in like match one against Negreanu. He was calling, calling, and then evaluating later. And I, I just hope Landon doesn't take that approach and say, I'm going to call him down for 7,000 hands and then kind of adjust. I would be brave with your assumptions and adjust very quickly and try to get the big edge that way. Because I feel like you can win at 30 and 40 big blinds per 100 and heads up quite easily against some players, but you need to be exploiting them very well. And I just fear that he does, he will go too far down the Sims route and not far enough down the metagame rabbit hole, which is where I think this game is won and lost. Yeah. And I'm not sure Landon's experience in that. I feel like... He's not, but he's definitely like, surrounded himself with the right people. Like, it's a really healthy mix of, you know, just the super GTO. We're going to dig through every... Comb through every little iteration of data that we can possibly collect. And then guys yeah. like me, they're just like, I don't know, man. I play with Bill a whole lot. I don't really see anything coming through in that bet, bet, bet line that's going to be nothing. You know? Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it depends what how what. I mean, you only have fifteen seconds per decision, so it's like what you hear in your mind yeah. in the most important spots, which will win and lose. Like the pot last night was, I guess, one hundred and fifty. Yeah, one hundred fifty k. Like that could be the difference. I'm not. I'm not trying to put the, uh, the thing on there. But <laughs> that that could, be the, that could be the difference at the end between winning and losing. And maybe sure. it won't be that one, but maybe you'll have five more opportunities mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. this challenge to make a really exploitative zero or hundred percent play, not a roll a high right, right. or roll low or anything like that. This is Just literally man. five, 100 or zero decisions, which will be the difference between winning and losing this challenge in my opinion, but I could be wrong. This is just how no, I No, 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 no. I'm feeling everything you're saying. We're with you for yeah, sure. Yeah, hundred percent. I like this guy. This is why he had a stable with IQ test and all kinds of shit. <laughs> Pads. But enjoy, yeah. I'm going to tune in and watch you guys for the first hour or so. So oh, let's hopefully some some high IQ players from from the young the young wizard himself. Yeah, let's yeah, let's, uh, let's plan to have you on and do a little little heads up commentary somewhere along this along the yeah, line. Yeah, yeah, good. That would be that would be good. That'd be fun. All right, Paz, All we right. got to let you go because if not, we're going to be late for landing, and then he'll yell at Thanks, us. Thanks, guys. <laughs> appreciate it. Thanks, Bye. man. Really oh, appreciate sure. it. Man, that was really entertaining. Like. I knew we were gonna fill the whole time and then some. Uh, it was just I still had like more follow up questions. No, I, he's 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 suit. Like I didn't. I know of pads, but I don't. I never. Yeah. You know, like dug into like because I play cash. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like I said it. Like I even, I even told him like listen like. He's play. the kind of guy that I would like to sit down and like really yeah, pick his like, brain for a long time. Like I think we align in a lot of areas, and then I think there's other areas where it's just like I'm very naive because I don't play much online, and like you know maybe. I like I, that zero one hundred thing. I'm gonna add that to the academy. Listen, it's zero or a hundred. It is. I know it's like a gradient. Scale you're gonna. Add, and, you're uh, you're Mister. I'm gonna fake roll all the time. Like, oh yeah, yeah. No, I I mix this spot now, and I think it's like a. I think it's like a twelve percent mix. So that's gonna, what I do. I'm gonna flip my chip against around the good guys. Times. Get the fuck out, of here. bro. I have all. Listen, I have a whole thing. It's like here's I, the thing, bro. Live poker. You're in a zero EV bluff spot. Full. Fold your fucking hand. Fold your fucking hand. You should fucking just talk. fucking fold Shut your the hand. Fuck up. Fold your fucking hand. You always. Fold your hand. Oh, oh, he has as many bluffs as he does value combos. No, he doesn't. Yeah, no, he doesn't. It's always no. Just fold your fucking hands. It's always no. And then the ones that do have too many, you just always call. Yeah, and then just like always call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>